When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Iniesta's in the middle. Torres is trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it. That's the goal. Spain have signed for the World Cup. Hello, big interview listeners. As we get a new season of interviews ready for you, this is World Cup 2010 Revista, our journey through Spain's win in South Africa 10 years ago. Graham Hunter was there with them, and every match day, he'll be here to tell you how they did it. This one goes out on the day of their round of 16 game against Portugal, it's our first knockout round game. Graham, things, I guess, were starting to change, the atmosphere around the camp was starting to change, albeit their last two group games were effectively knockouts, but how were things shifting around the Spanish team? Everybody's fit. Um, there's another massive influx of parents, grandparents, friends, brothers, sisters, girlfriends, kids. Um, that changes the tone, obviously. There's just... Uh, it's it's not as... That's not normal, is no, it? No, I, I think definitely not. I think that... I mean, I don't want to be lazy, but the comparison we've often reached for is the England squad sitting miserably, partly because in the big interview we've had England internationals talking about it and explaining it to us. And Sven Joran Eriksson commenting on the regime that, that Capello set up. But I, but I think that we know that beyond the fact that the England players probably didn't know how good they had it and should have been behaving a little bit like Spain repeatedly did across the three tournament wins, we know international coaches who, who run... Spartan regimes. Equally, uh, I was at one World Cup in 1998 when I was England correspondent and it happened to be that in Laboul, one of Scotland's um, opponents, Norway, uh, were situated. And a couple of Norway's players, um, even though they had a relatively relaxed, respect-built, what would you call it, environment in their camp, decided to go out in the lash and stay out in the lash. So... You can build a strict one and make the players unhappy. You can hold a, 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 a we'll treat you like grown-ups. We'll let you have access to friends and family or we'll let you have the odd night out or dinners away from the camp or lunches away from the camp. And players can react well to that or they can abuse it. Uh, and because in, in the instance of those, um, uh, I'm pretty sure Henning Berg was one of them, the instance of the Norway players, I think they were, they were kicked out of the camp. So if I haven't communicated to listeners that right is wrong and wrong is right over these series, then I haven't done my job because winners write history. You look back and say, well, Spain's ideas were perfect. Well, okay, they, they were perfect because they won, but you're right, the atmosphere is not normal. It's 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 happy. They've had a little fillip because they can see people that they've missed. They can change as much as they like each other's company. They can change the people that they see over lunch. They can have a coffee with loved ones that they miss. Or they can just have a laugh with their brother or their mate or their granddad or whatever it might be. And that makes a little bit of a difference to the mood and the atmosphere. You're right. Okay, we're going to start by introducing one of the fringe characters. And what I kind of like about the lessons they learn over the three tournament wins, and I guess this starts in year 2008, is they identify the importance of the peripheral members of the squad. Almost nobody has no part to play in these victories. And we're going to talk about a couple of these guys right now. Because the day after the victory against Chile, which is a day off for every combatant, 
um, with the exception of Ika Casillas, who, as you've said a couple of times, always shows up for these um, non-obligatory sessions. So it's, it's generally the other guys who are training. And there's a inadvertent, there's a collision on the training ground that has some repercussions for the story we're about to tell. Look, it, it's, you're right. So, you know, not every training match is played with the intensity that, again, in the big interview, we've spoken to footballers. Michael Carrick, for example, who would say that training at Carrington was often more intense than the matches they actually would play on a Saturday or Sunday. We heard the same from Terry Butcher. We, it's exactly the other one that said it, that you, you, you play cutthroat to the edge in training, whether it's England be Scotland or not, in those days with Big Butch at Rangers. But that if you're playing at the limit of your intensity, day in, day out in training, you will repeatedly have rivals at the weekend who don't match up to the other 11 from your own squad. Spain don't always play their mini-matches like that. They play a lot more to do with sharpness, fluidity. But in this instance, there's a, there's a training match where the cat, one of the, two, the two of the characters you're talking about are Raul Albiol, um, who really, even in 2010 despite that he is now, as we speak, back in the fold internationally after many seasons at Napoli. In 2010, he looks to my eyes, certainly the least of the central defenders, and one, an affable, charming, funny guy, really open to meeting new people, to, to not saying, I've got something better to do, or I'm too important. That's not his characteristics at all. Really likeable. In elite football terms, I didn't think in 2010 that he was world-class. Nonetheless, he's there. If there's an injury, Puyol's knee is starting to grumble. He's less than a year away from not being able to play in the 2011 Champions League final because of a bit of cartilage floating around in his knee that he's had to put up with for months and he's beginning to worry about his future. So Albiol could be important. There's a training match. Fernando Llorente is the other fella that I think sticks out here because his size, his goals, his aerial play makes him, if not unique, across all of La Liga at this moment in 2010, he's certainly unique within the squad. He breaks the mould. The whole idea about Luis Aragonés saying, I want Silva and Villa and Iniesta and Xavi Hernández to set the tone of the of the new La Roja instead of La Furia Roja, the mad running around, pressing, chasing, Wagner, right of the Valkyrie La Roja. And it's worked. It's worked so so much that now Del Bosque's side, which has got the same characteristics, is through to the knockout stages. And Llorente is a big uh, beanpole of a guy who, t like Peter Crouch, has technique, that belies the stature of a man who could say, "Well, I'll play play aerially to me, and I'll be fine, and don't worry about anything else." No, he, he hasn't he hasn't grown up like that. He's a guy um, who, for Athletic Bilbao, has become a real team leader, um, like Albiol, friendly, um, a little bit reserved and shy at that time, possessed of Paul Newman blue eyes, and they're jousting for the ball. Neil, it's as simple as that. There's no. There's neither intent from Urenti nor is there anything approaching a stupid challenge. But as they tangle for the ball, Albiol collapses, there's a roar into the night sky and immediately we know there's a problem. He's lying around there, a little glitch becomes apparent in that it takes a long time for not Spain medical assistance but the ambulance to get there and he's carted directly off to hospital and that, you know, spoiler alert, is the last we'll see of Albiol in the entire tournament. They're, they're down a man. It's the most innocuous of things. And Llorente, as a debutant in the squad, this is his big break. You can see in football terms why he's there, but he's a novice. He doesn't have the battle scars or the medals to say, well, I'm one of the gang. And suddenly he's injured a fellow player and you can see him kind of looking around of a night going, you know, I'd, I'd really like to find somebody... To, to, be, to, to that I can reassure I didn't mean anything and who can reassure me by saying honestly fella we, we know that that was just a nothing challenge and for the remainder of that training match he, he looks a little bit sunken into himself and, and 
I guess if you're a decent human being, why wouldn't you be guilty about sending a fellow player in a World Cup off to hospital, having barely stuck a leg in to, to, to rob him of the ball? Yeah, and Al- Albiol has had two appearances at Euro 2008, so he's, you know, he's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that we would have seen him in 2010. Uh, and as you said, right. Laurenti wasn't, wasn't part of that story. He's 25 already at this point. You know, it was looking back at what was going on 10 years ago, it sort of surprised me because he's still with Athletic and he's going to be there for another couple of seasons. It, it surprised me how late it was before he started to make his travels um, around the bigger clubs of European football. I think eventually he benefits from the extra fitness that the Bielsa regime brings in. Um, he benefits from a generation of footballers. Everybody listening will probably know that Athletic Club only signed Basques. And therefore, what you need is that you're part of a good generation because you can't go out and sign and find somebody who'll put the ball onto Llorente's chest if he's got his back to goal or pop it onto his forehead if he's running towards goal. He gradually flourishes with his own confidence, with better training, with better fitness. And because around him, there there grows up a really good genera- generation at Athletic and he, he changes, he definitely works on his technique. So... You're right that he hadn't been a shining star in the previous two, three years. But at this World Cup, it's patently obvious what he might bring, why he's there. And he stands out as different in almost every way, irrespective of his towering height. But he's not fully fledged as, um, I'm a tough guy, I'm a grown-up international footballer. He's not. And there's a guy who is, and that's Pepe Reina. Pepe Reina had played one game fewer than Albiol in 2008. He, he started in the Greece game. His character is gigantic. Um, he is somebody who, as much as he doesn't like not starting, he, he isn't paying lip service when he talks about those who are on the bench or those who are in the squad winning a tournament. It's his intention to use, to use every single minute, apart from about four or five hours that we'll talk about later, while he's in South Africa, irrespective of whether he puts on competitive playing kit or not to help his country win the World Cup. He's the guy, when they come back from 2008, who's master of ceremonies in the centre of Madrid, conducting both his fellow players who've made themselves European champions and the million fans who are in the baking hot streets of Spain's capital going delirious. And if you haven't looked at that footage on YouTube, then do. Pepe Reina's special, and he sees this guy, Llorente, wilting. And because there's a pre which puts the, the journalists, the, the dozens and dozens of international and Spanish cameras, radio microphones, written journalists, in a little passage that the Spain players must come through in order to get from training to the residences. They come out of the uh, dressing rooms and, and basically they're there fair game. If they want to stop, they can, but you're within touching and certainly shouting distance to say, hey, let's have an interview about... And, and Reina anticipates that because word is out um, across um, everybody who's in Potchefstroom, whether they were watching the training or not, it was open, but not everybody chose to watch, that the media centre has emptied, everybody's in the mix zone, and they want to hear from everybody, what's happened to Albiol, how bad is it, and they want to talk to Llorente. And, and that's a horrible thing for a guy who's struggling. And what impacts on me is, as they come out of the training ground dressing rooms, through this sort of corridor of uncertainty, Reyna's got his arm around Llorente. And even though Reyna's a big man, he, he almost needs a stepladder to do that. And he's kind of got, I think, a towel or a strip half draped over Llorente's face so that photos won't be all that easy either. And then he puts on a mock bodyguard PR officer tone, partly saying what he really meant, but, but, but selling it to everybody in a half jocular manner so that nobody could really get hacked off and have a go at him. And he's shouting to us, sorry, lad, sorry, one arm out, the other arm round your empty. Sorry, everybody, you know, Fernando can't talk. He's away to have his tea. And, like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He didn't, he didn't sound like a Scotsman. So he's away to have his tea now. He's away to have his tea. Then I'm playing with table tennis. He really can't stop. He'd love to, but he can't stop. See ya. Bye. And with that, Llorente is stripped of the response from the responsibility of having to say, no, I don't want to speak, or, thanks, or being daft enough to stop and saying, I really didn't mean it. And the front page is the next day, Llorente, I'm so sorry, and all that kind of rubbish. And 
he's frustrated us because everybody wants to talk to the participants but it's shrewd Neil it's it's semi it's not parental it's big brother like the wee, the wee brothers had a little bit of a bump the big brother's taking care of him and, and just the whole incident is taken down a notch or two. It's a small detail that you and I are pouncing on here, but for listeners, I think that it helps paint a, a, a picture of the atmosphere and the fraternal atmosphere in that squad. And if you believe in the small details and the marginal gains, then the assist that Urenti gets there from Pepe Reina might just play a part in clearing his mentality, letting him focus on the job in hand, because his one moment... In these, in these tournaments is on its way in this episode. We'll get back to it. Reading about the next day's activity in Pochefstrum, the Spanish team base uh, that you shared with them during this World Cup, one detail really stuck out, and that was Fernando Torres, who's, who's back in the fray. He's sort of recovered. He's approaching top speed, having been injured towards the end of the previous season. He started the last game. He's going to start this game against Portugal. And you kind of speak about him out in the wild in South Africa, and he's the one guy, it seems to me, that is treated like a rock star on these streets by the, by the locals. And also the one guy that seems to have done his homework and is genuinely interested, not just in where he is now, but he talks about how wherever he plays, so presumably just now that's Japan, he makes a point of engaging and learning about his, his environment. And it, I wasn't really expecting this detail about him because he always struck me as quite an introvert. So what is it about Torres that made him, A, the one that these fans flocked to and not the guys who had just won the treble at Barcelona for the Liverpool striker and B, what is is it about his personality do you think that makes him the kind of guy who wants to not pass through a tournament like this but actually engage in the tournament and where he is and, and the people around him? It's a really good phrase, Neil. Um, it's not one I've used before, but he didn't want to pass through the tournament. He was there to win and he'd sacrificed a lot. But a rough sketch of him would be that he's a strange man. If you imagine that he's Atleti's youngest captain at a stage just after them having um, been relegated and bounced back up and he's awarded responsibility very, very young. And yet you've categorised him in your mind as something of a timid man. And he's extremely softly spoken. He never asks for people to stop calling him kid. Because just like Guaje, Guaje is, is kid in Asturian for David Villa and El Nino. I mean, you could El Nino you could say is the little boy, but let's say kid. He never rebels against that and said, says at 22, 23, 24, 25, hold on a second now, a fully grown man, enough of that kid. And, and what I saw in, in Torres was this man who was genuinely fascinated by the people around him. But you, you, as a broadcaster, a journalist, a producer like I was, you first of all, you'd like the players to talk to you. You, you need content. They were doing that. But after that, even before winning, because I'm not a Spaniard. The thing I wanted to see them doing best, I wanted them to show respect to the fans who travelled a long distance, who'd queued up for hours to be in the training ground to watch them. And by that I mean local black Africans who were the majority, not just the Spaniards who travelled a long way or the slightly more privileged white Afrikaners who were part of the Northwest University campus experience. And, And Torres did exactly that. Many of them stopped and signed autographs, but Torres would stop for 40, 50 minutes after he'd showered following training. If there wasn't a meal or a tactical session, he would stop and stand and sign and pose and and chat to his heart's content. And the interview you were talking about was one where he said, I I took time to learn about South Africa and the, the struggle to end apartheid and what went on here. And he used a phrase, Neil. He said... I believe that this tournament can help us redress the crimes that took place. And I find that really startling because there's no way you can point a finger at sportsmen or women who come to a a country once it's been sanctioned and say, irrespective of what's going on here, I'm here to compete, I want to focus, I'm here to win. And if they want to 
be in a totally isolated bubble of self-motivation. Really, we'd be we'd be in the wrong to say that's a bad approach. And Torres is just like, yeah, fair play, I'm in. I, I loved it as a little adjunct of what we saw while, while Spain went on to win the World Cup. And he helped me. He, he was as generous with me for entirely different reasons. I can't remember if you were with me when he sat down at Chelsea and said, absolutely no problem, let's have an interview. And it was an hour-long interview which helped fuel this book. So, sensational guy, really. Sensational guy, and as you say, at this stage, he's beginning to look as if his knee surgery has worked and he's beginning to look as if he's getting some of his edge back. Okay, we are going to be on our way to Cape Town. But before we get there, let's talk about the world's most expensive footballer at this time. So Cristiano Ronaldo, who is going to be leading the Portugal team that Spain face, has just completed his first season on your manor in La Liga. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about how he did for that first season after he left Manchester United for Real Madrid. Um, looking back, Madrid finished second to Barcelona in the league. They are out of the Copa very early on in the round of 32 and they crash out in this round of 16 against Lyon in the Champions League. So on the surface of it, not great. He still scores 33 in all competitions. So that doesn't seem like a, a complete waste of time. The view was that the the dream was tarnished. Remember that he'd been coming and coming and coming. The negotiations had been going for years. And he gets there, Ronaldo. And it isn't quite right. It's a bit sugarly. Pellegrini should have been the right manager for him. But they bump into a Pep Guardiola Barcelona, which is still at full tilt. Uh, a Pep Guardiola Barcelona that probably should have repeated its treble of the year before. Didn't for a couple of reasons, but nonetheless don't have a lot of trouble winning the league. I was at the game you talked about um, where in the round of 16, Leon completely frustrate Real Madrid, having won uh, 1-0 in Stade Gerland. It's Ronaldo who opens the scoring really, really early to make it 1-1 in aggregate. And for the remainder of the tie, Real Madrid don't even look convinced it's got you know there's a side with Raul Albiol in there Arbaloa is still you know titular Granero is titular you, you begin to look at people Garay is, is a starter you begin to look at it and think that wasn't but by the standards of Florentino Perez an elite squad and therefore Ronaldo's own performance um, was what you'd expect in terms of aggression leadership goals couple of red cards but his frustration was gigantic. He didn't play in the defeat to Alcacorn. I'm sure it was Alcacorn. Well, I mean, the Copa del Rey isn't a, a live-or-die trophy for Real Madrid in this era. It, it's going to become so, but it isn't. What really hurt Pellegrini was the manner of that defeat and the team that they went out to. And by the time the Leon elimination uh, takes place. Pellegrini is sentenced. Ronaldo knows that his first season and Madrid is going to be trophyless. He goes into the World Cup with extra hunger. Um, by this stage, not having won a trophy with Portugal, having failed in the home final of 2004, eliminating Spain en route. The World Cup, can I can I use this phrase ironic? The World Cup's a big deal for Ronaldo Neal at this stage. <laughs> Everybody at home going, nah, really? Honestly? <laughs> Journalists like a storyline. And here the day before the Portugal-Spain game, there's a great storyline because you're going to have Barcelona versus Real Madrid here. You've got the two Barcelona centre-halves, Piquet and Puyol, versus Cristiano Ronaldo. And Piquet does get asked about it. And I was looking back at the two Clásicos from that season, and there were only two in the league. And they've shut them out both times. So Puyol and Pion PK haven't conceded a goal to Madrid, let alone Ronaldo. And what I, what I had to be reminded of in these interviews was there's much more history between PK and Ronaldo than that. The World Cup's a big event, so not every interview that I reproduce in, in uh, the book that we wrote about this is, is, is mine. It just can't be. But in this instance, 
this is mine. I, I, sp I speak to Gerard Piquet. He, he speaks to me a couple of times. When I say me, it's, it's a studio that we've built. Uh, we have a cameraman. We have a sound recordist. It's, it's a nice little venue. The players like it as a, as a, as a little bubble of peace on a media morning um, whereby they're, they're not mobbed by tons of people. It's cool. It's air-conditioned. We have a glass of water ready for them. They can, while they're in there, they can just go, okay, we'll answer your questions, but this, this gives us 15, 20 minutes of peace. And I pointed out to, to PK because I'd known PK before he went to Manchester United, that he shared a dressing room there with Ronaldo. And Ronaldo was there first. Um, he's the slightly older man. At that stage, it's hard to reconcile with the the world brand name, the world businessman, the world superstar, the world impresario that Gerard Piquet has become. But he was a little lost boy. So this guy that's just bought the Davis Cup, you know, with uh, Mkhitaryan, the owner of Rakuten, was a guy who allowed Scallies to fix a sky dish on his rented place in Manchester, steal it themselves get the phone call from him say, somebody's stolen my, my sky. Ah, oh, don't worry, boss, we'll come along again. I think three or four times PK fell for that. <laughs> at, at a club whereby um, they knew he was wet behind the ears, although he had a good poker circle with Wes Brown and Wayne Rooney and big uh, John O'Shea and people like that. Ronaldo helped him settle in. When PK's English wasn't all that it is now, Ronaldo could speak English and could help and could could speak Spanish and 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 pull him through a little A lot can happen in 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly 3 years in some states Learn more at uh1.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. But they, they weren't hugely alike in their off-the-pitch behaviours, um, in that Ronaldo is, is pretty close to teetotal and, and Gerard <clears throat> is not. But they were, they were twins in terms of their level of sporting aggression, outright, naked ambition their underlying rock solid self-confidence tungsten hard self-confidence so there were differences but it was much more that united them than separated them and Piquet told me that he owed Ronaldo a little bit for his help in the settling in process at Carrington in in Lancashire in at Old Trafford and and that wasn't going to play a role in this, as you rightly say. Ronaldo had lost 1-0 at Camp Now in the first Classico goal by Slatan off a Dani Alves cross and had lost 2-0 um, at home in the Bernabeu. The second goal being scored, I think, by Pedro. A lovely scampering run down the middle. And, you know, it's an Iberian derby, don't forget. So there's a lot riding on this game at Greenpoint Stadium in what has been a rainy um, Cape Town. All the stuff about Table Mountain. You fly in... And, and the airport takes you past the townships and it's it's little rickety township after township because Cape Town has, has become associated, I think, in, in the tourism world with a lush, attractive, seaside, beautiful, um, agriculturally interesting viniculture amongst the best in the world. It, it's, it's really got a, a sheen it's it's reputation but as you traipse past it's okay it might not be the very worst 
of the, the, the slums in, in, in Rio or the very worst of the slums in Joburg. But it's depressing and it's sore to the eyes to see human beings living like that. And you have to drive towards Table Mountain and towards Cape Town past these endless rows of, of rigged up canvases and, and jerry-built tin shacks in order to come to Cape Town. And it's, to me, I always I found that sobering. There's nothing you can do while you're there, really. Um, but it gives you the other side of life in South Africa. Portugal going to this game with 20 clean sheets from their previous 24 games. They've got Eduardo in goals, Ricky Carvalho, who, lest we forget at this time, was one of the best centre-halves in the world, uh, and also Bruno Alves next to him. Let's go through the teams in full, Graham. So, for the first time, Vicente Del Bosque names an unchanged 11. So we have Casillas, a back four of Ramos, Piquet, Puyo and Captavia. Alonso and Busquets are together again at the base of the midfield. Iniesta, Xavi and Villa, and then Torres on his own up front. For Portugal, Eduardo, we're going to speak about him. Costa, Cavalho and Alves, and Contrao on the left of the defence. Then you describe this as like a three-man protective blanket in front of them of Thiago, Pepe and Morales, and then Simao, Almeida and Ronaldo up front for Portugal. Torres doesn't get much change. I mean, I know Eduardo has a colossal game, and I know you're a big Casillas fan, but the Portugal goalkeeper must have caught your eye that day. Yeah, he was a sporting Braga man at the time. I hadn't known a whole lot about him before he stars in this match. He he has a very Casillas-style game in that not everything's perfect. He juggles a few as if it's like a wet fish, but it gets to everything, including the goal. Um, he excels, and it's not as if Portugal are porous. Um, the truth of it is, each side is is witty and inventive. Um, Portugal have come to the match having failed to score in two of their their group games. We talked about this last time. You, you get a feeling that whether it's one nil or not, you get a feeling that the advantage of first goal. Uh, and, and making the other side chase an equaliser. It feels like first goal is, is likely to be the winner, whether that's 1-0 or 2-1. And there are tons of chances. Often I used to, when you're growing up and you read a match report saying an entertaining 0-0, and De Stefano's phrase about a, a game without um, a goal is like a day without sunshine, echoes around there, always tapping you on the shoulder. But this was fun and it was tense. The thing I liked, you've described the two 11s. What I liked was the lineup because in Greenpoint Stadium, it's not like the majority of stadia where either you line up in, in a single tunnel and you're in two Indian files with maybe some, um, some wire in between you, or sometimes it's an amply sized tunnel and you come down the stairs and you congregate together and you separate into two lines. The, these two um, dressing rooms are separated significantly at Greenpoint such that the the, physic, the physical tunnels um, associating them um, are, are facing one another. So one is coming in from the east, one is coming in from the west. They meet nose on and turn um, respectively right and left to head up to the pitch. So they don't line up together, but there is a big area um, where they're going to be in each other's presence they can see each other and as they come out towards each other and then the two lines join to go up the stairs onto the pitch it's natural and you've seen it if you want to put yourself in your Roy Keane head I'll give you a moment there because it's a big journey for most of you oh, I don't like this oh, I'd never have done that this is, this is a disgrace they can swap shirts they can touch each other after the normally especially the Iberians they love a little hug and a kiss and a high five and all that kind of rubbish, which personally I can't speak for you, but I wouldn't be going for either. It doesn't matter who's, what friendship you've got with the guy in the other shirt, no danger. But in this instance, Ronaldo has got every right to expect that the, the guys he's maybe seen before in life, PK, the guys with whom he's shared a dressing room for a season, let's say Casillas or Ramos, for example, um, that there'll be some sort of respect or even, oh, heaven for fen, a bit of affection, a bit of, all right, well, listen, nice to see you. It's all war out there, but not nothing. The freeze-out has begun. 
It's a tiny detail again. But Spain's players have talked about Ronaldo and said that irrespective of his talents on the pitch, which you go on and show to a degree, he's a sensitive creature. And it's as much the Real Madrid guys who know this as it is Piquet. So they cook up a scheme just to not even acknowledge that he's there. So because he's the king of the Portugal team, and he's quite keen on the rest of his Portuguese teammates seeing how popular he is with the Spaniards, he just stings a little bit. And several of the players have talked about this afterwards, saying that they deliberately cut him off because they knew it would get under his skin a little bit. It wouldn't change the result, but I suppose competitors always look for a little edge, don't they? You know, the 2006 World Cup, Portugal v England, and it ends up being sort of wink gate, he said very carefully, when yeah. Rini gets, Rini gets <laughs> sent off for a stamp, for a stamp on Carvalho and, and Ronaldo. Let's call, call it, let's call it, let's call it Chris, Cristiano Winkleman, shall we? <laughs> very, very good. But I have a memory, I have a memory of the table being set for that incident by a very similar pre-match situation where Rooney was seeking out Ronaldo and a bunch of the sort of senior Portugal tough guys sort of surrounded him and smiling in a very scary, intimidating way were basically saying, he's not your pal, you know, do one. He's not going to shake your hand, you know, he's not going to give you a cuddle before the game starts. It's another example of what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong because... Some people get fired up by that stuff. Exactly so. And later they'll tell the press, well, it's truthful or not. Yeah, that was all I needed just to get rocket boosters on. And when I sprinted away from him and stuck it in the top corner, I was thinking, you take that, you geezers. And that, so it, it, none of it actually is, is a guaranteed panacea to any of your ills. But in my judgment, sportsmen and sportswomen love it. They love a little bit of gamesmanship, a little bit of edge wherever they can find it. The key to this game comes in 58 minutes and it's a substitution, an early substitution. I want to talk to you about this in some detail. So Torres isn't getting much change out of Carvalho and Alves. And you know, there's still 32 minutes to play and he's going to take off his ace and replace him with... Plan B personified, Fernando Llorente, the guy that's been kept out of the limelight a little bit by Pepe Reina earlier on. It seems like a pretty ballsy substitution. I mean, I get the substitution, but I think it's impressively early. At the time, you could see that it was more or less, I punch you, you punch me. There was a really good exchange of chances. And although Ronaldo hit a couple from distance, that showed his power and his knowledge that Ica Casillas is brilliant but not perfect. John Capdevila was largely playing slightly inside in a three-man defence. That I'm not calling it in any way a 3-5-2 or anything like that, but Ramos was moved just a little bit forward or was allowed scope to come forward to try and block an area that Cristiano liked to work in. And Captavilla tucked inside. But when Cristiano went right, Captavilla had a really good game, played him well, read him well. It shouldn't have been a good contest. But even though Captavilla did that, Portugal had their chances. There was a, a nice hit from Thiago. Villa put one only just over. Eduardo makes, I would say, five, at least maybe six extremely good saves. So when that substitution's made, you've won your case. You've convinced the, the jury, Petrocelli. It looks early. And what you have to do is award kudos to Bosque's plan. He didn't... Uh, there was a slight problem in that Fernando Torres was a guy who at his best bullied. He, he looks like you said, a, a boy band kid. He speaks very softly, but physically and Manchester United's players Vidich particularly will tell you he was a bully when he was physically on form and that contrasted so much to after the Champions League final when they beat Bayern Munich and he and I have spent time chatting and he comes out of the dressing room half half cut and he goes amigo we did it and he gives me a hug and his body is like it, it feels like there's, there's none of the muscle tones there he's had such problems with injury and in in, in Greenpoint Stadium I think that what we saw was the guy who was the same footballer, who if given an opportunity might sniff it out, but he wasn't bullying anybody. And just Del Bosque saw that, I mean, Bruno Alves is a big unit, 
Carvalho, even though Benny McCarthy in our interview, what do you call him? Shirley, I think. The worst trainer in the history of football, but eight out of ten every single match. He was in with uh, Ricardo Costa. He was in with the big boys. And I'm not outright saying he was being bullied, but Del Bosque went, I see the other way. I see the el otro camino es así. So Torres is taking off, not just because of what he's been playing like, but with Del Bosque having the clearest eye of, of ideas and saying to Fernando Llorente, get in there and start a brawl. He's got a bunch of other changes that he could have made that would involve moving via centrally and having another wee guy in one of the interior positions. So that's the kind of the option that he doesn't take. And, you know, to reiterate, this is the only game time that Llorente is going to get in any of these tournaments. Oh, for sure. He, he, could have reached, he could have reached for Pedro. He could have reached for David Silva. Given what he does two years later, he could have used Cesc Fabregas in some sort of 10 or false nine role if he wanted to. But no, there was a really clear idea about why. And initially when he comes on and he connects with, if my memory serves... A nice ball in from Ramos, who hits early, and therefore it's curving in behind Carvalho and Alves, and Llorente launches himself at it, should score, because it's by then it's point-black range. Doesn't. Your mate Eduardo makes another good save. Sergio Ramos goes for the high ball in, and Llorente produces a stop of some reactionary brilliance from Eduardo. And the Portuguese number one preserving this amazing record of Portugal of not having conceded in this World Cup. So initially what it looks like, ah, just target man, fine, that's, that seems pretty simple. But no, what Llorente does is he gets in there all height and arms and legs. Dabosky can't have known that his exact template will come to fruition. But what happens when the goal um, arrives is that there's nice interplay from Spain involving Villa and Iniesta and Xavi. But by the time the breakthrough moment comes, Portugal's central bruising defenders are each a little bit consumed with, I'll put this guy back in my pocket. I'll put this guy in his place. Nobody's bullying us. And whether Llorente was being skillful and subtle with his physical bullying or whether he was just bringing into people and knocking them over, Iniesta picks up the loose ball just outside the penalty and slips the ball in the direction of Villa's run. Xavi will intuit, because it's coming through Xavi, he'll intuit that there must be a man behind me, so he gives it just the dentiest half-touch. And the half-touch is such that whether Villa was offside when Iniesta releases the ball or not, by the time Xavi takes a half-touch, Villa's offside. And if there were VAR, the goal wouldn't stand. That's a fact. But what gives the three of them their the space for their mini operetta that they produce in order to go 1-0 up is that Urenti has got six of those red, red maroon shirts around him. None of them communicating with one another, each of them going, I'll put out the fire, no, I'll put out the fire, let me jump on it. And and Urenti, like a big golden Paul Newman-eyed magnet, has attracted people who should be doing other jobs into paying attention to him. The ball goes to Villa. He is offside. At the time, I wasn't sure. Live, I didn't know. Subsequently, you have to say, VAR wouldn't allow it. His first shot is saved at point-black range by Eduardo off a left-footed effort, I think. And and it, the ball kind of hits Villa's right foot. His, there's no drawback. And it's almost as if he sort of punts it up and over Eduardo for the 1-0 goal. Goes crazy. Celebrates in the same manner as you'll celebrate the the home goal in the Champions League semi-final against Real Madrid. Um, what, a year later? By running, peeling off and running to his left-hand side and a full slide on his knees into the corner flag area. It, delirium breaks out because they've known better than any of us knew that while 1-0 wasn't guaranteed to be the winner... First goal, the guys on top, the guys that made the other side chase, they had a massive chance to win and go through the last 16. We're queuing up again here now with Iniesta through here for Villa. Beaten away first time in the second. David Villa's done it. 
If anybody was going to pull the trigger for Spain tonight, it was going to be the boy they call the kid. I mean, you know, but maybe not everybody listening knows that there was an added premium to victory here, not just getting through to the next round. Del Bosque has said, literally taking them all aside and said, lads, here's how we're going to get through. Here's how we beat Portugal. This is what I don't want you to do, what I do want you to do. And we're going through, but not as an incentive, just as a reward. You've been brilliant. You've... Captavilla in the in the video he filmed for us about San Juan night talked about breaking from the monotony. So because I was there and enthused by it, I've tried to show that this was a squad that coped well with monotony, that thrived on little benefits, little pluses, laughs, extra training, the occasional visit from family members, a lunch down in um, the Moy River um, arcade, whatever it might be. B- but they were still you know, stuck together in the middle of what was seven or eight weeks. And Del Bosque says, lads, you beat Portugal. Obviously, then we're through and you're out in the town. Full night out in Cape Town. We don't get the first flight. We don't take our charter flight straight back to Poch after the, the game. You're all out on the town and they are hungry for this. And when they win... And they're through to a quarterfinal date, which is their their bet noir in World Cups quarterfinals as far as it, as it's ever been. They go out, they take they take full charge. And I mentioned earlier about Pepe Reina, you know, using almost every minute of his tournaments to help everybody else win it, except for these hours. Because we go back to the hotel that Spain are in, and and honestly, Neil, for anybody's old enough to remember Crossroads Motel, the Cape Town place that Spain win in the FIFA lottery might as well have had Benny in his in his his knit cap and his Wellington boots nicking about it was basic it was flat basic awful service you know I, I saw subsequently that the place that Portugal had stayed in and it was a leafy villa beautiful old stonework and I don't know if it had been a two-headed coin that got flipped on that one but Spain got done and they're back there and we get told Right, lads, we know you like a night out. I don't know if they spoke to everybody who was in town that night or stayed over, but they, 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 the Spain Federation, Paloma, to be fair, approached me and, and Glenn the Shadow and Adam uh, Miami Goldfinch and said, lads, we know you'll be going out, you're famous for it, but if you wouldn't mind avoiding this bar, the Beachcomber Bar just around the corner, because that's where Spain are starting. That's where the lads are getting to get together. They'll be drinking. We know we can trust you, but we don't really want them to think that you, you know, you're following them around. So if you could avoid that bar, and we're like, oh, we shouldn't have a problem finding a different bar to go to, and we didn't. So we've got, a, I think, a, a 5.30 alarm or 6, 30, 6 o'clock alarm for an 8 o'clock flight back to Johannesburg. And that means that we, we've got to get in. We, we don't see our beds, obviously. We've got to get in, pack up all our gear, get it down to reception, which we do by, I suppose, 6. And while we've arrived back and been heading to our rooms, we've seen one or two straggling Spain players arrive in with a strange case of a strange affliction of wobbly legs. But then we get downstairs with all our gear at 10 to 6 sharp. And right across, I've, I've taken my contact lenses out because my eyes are starting to nip. So I can't see who it is. But right across the entire um, reception area and then the breakfast area. And all the tablecloths are those kind of check picnic um, checked picnic tablecloths and there's somebody sitting at a table at a distance away that I can't quite make out who it is but they're wearing a check shirt as well so they, they also seem to blend into the tablecloth and I forget now I should have looked it up what he roared at me and I didn't want to say it at the time but it's Pepe Reina roaring across the reception to me for some some joke he had in his mind about whether I think it was to do with which of us had drunk more or blah 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 and it's like foghorn leghorn at six o'clock in the morning (laughs) and the thing about all of this the reason I tell it is that everybody's on time for the bus to the airport long after we've departed because they didn't have 6am alarm calls Del Bosque I go back to the theme again about sometimes what's right is wrong, what's wrong is right, good is bad, bad is good. Del Bosque says to his lads, go out and go and go in the lash. I don't care how little sleep you get. 
I don't care how much you drink. There's no um, checks, no curfew. Just be on the bus when we leave for the airport. That's the instruction, as simple as that. Now, you and I know dozens, maybe hundreds of footballers who, given that opportunity in a faraway country, in the middle of several weeks away from friends and family, would be posted missing and and Interpol would have needed to be called out to get them. And no matter what nick they're in, everybody's there for the bus to the airport. Spain have won, they've partied, and they're back together again. It's all peaches and herb. Peaches and cream, sorry, peaches and cream. So they've been Portugal on the 29th of June, so the evening of becomes party time. Their quarterfinal, their World Cup quarterfinal, is um, to be played four days later. So that's a pretty big call by Del Bosque, I'd say. It's, it's funny seeing elite footballers on the lash, but you're right. It, so many physios, sports scientists would say, yeah, if there's a week of a turnaround or... And you and I know very well exactly how much on the lash Pep Guardiola's Barcelona players were after winning the title domestically and still having Roma in the distance, uh, even more so winning the title domestically and having Wembley in 2011 in the distance. And Pep said, go out, clean away the cobwebs. I don't want to see you. I'd rather you didn't go out together, go out with friends or family, go on the lash if you want. And they did. So we know it, it. it's not verboten, verboten in the modern game. But as you rightly say, so close to a World Cup quarterfinal after so much physical output. I asked Dabowski this in the tournament and I said, look, mister, what if one of them had got involved in a punch-up because somebody, a paparazzi, wanted too much attention? Or what if one of them had been turned over and robbed or mugged or one of them just got pissed and got in trouble with the cops or or there was kiss and tell stories all over the papers blah 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 he said I would know it was a one-off I trust them an incident like that wouldn't change my mind one iota I like these guys I trust these guys it was the right thing to give them if something had gone wrong I would have done it again brilliant and the opponent waiting for these guys four days later is Paraguay, who earlier on the same day that Spain beat Portugal have got past Japan. They're a penalty shootout. I do hope Spain were watching. But for this episode, that's all we have. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying the series. Graham Hunter, shop shop. Shabalala. The Big Interview with Graham Hunter is produced by Backpage. If you're enjoying Graham's tales from the 2010 World Cup, may I recommend to you the audiobook Spain, the inside story of La Roja's historic treble. That's Graham's book on all three of Spain's tournament wins from 08 to 2012. There's over 16 hours of content, including profiles of the two coaches who took them there, detailed diaries from all three tournaments, and a breakdown of the systems that produced a golden era for Spain. And it's all read by Graham. Find out more about the audiobook of Spain, the inside story of La Roja's historic treble, at backpagepress.co.uk forward slash books forward slash Spain. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.